They also did a New York episode, which I couldn't use because the mystery was too easy to solve. But I will say that one of the major plot points is that they can't hail a cab in New York. Oh, come on. <laughs> and that's a serious situation that they've run into. <laughs> the mystery is, why are the bagels so good in New York? It's the water. The water is different. <laughs> Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our Great Danes and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schuber. I am very bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am the host. I'm safely behind the judges' table while I let others duke it out instead. Our contestants this week are Brigham Snow from the upcoming podcast, The College Tapes, and Jordan Adika from Sad Boys. Brigham and Jordan, how's it going? Hey. Hey, it's just us, a couple of sleuths. <laughs> I like the implication of you saying, that you're not good at solving these so that we clearly <laughs> you've brought on two experts <laughs> yeah you know noted crime solving experts of the fictional variety Brigham and Jordan Brig, what would we be called what's our like Hardy Boys equivalent mm. the the snowflake <laughs> duo <laughs> maybe <laughs> we only solve winter crimes though that's what I meant yeah. uh, <laughs> we take three quarters of the year off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> waiting for an interesting crime yeah, yeah. it's a seasonal business yeah. you know? <laughs> we charge a lot <laughs> We've got a flyer in the Christmas tree shop. It's great. <laughs> what is a Christmas crime? <laughs> like, I guess the Grinch is the most famous Christmas criminal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who stole all the ornaments off of my tree? <laughs> my tinsel's gone missing. <laughs> we'll find out for $300,000. <laughs> Oh, well, Snowflake Boys, let's first discuss what charities that you will be playing for. So, Jordan, what charity are you going to try to be earning some cash for? <laughs> I'm not trying. I'm going to be earning mm. some moolah for Mermaids, which is a charity that supports queer, trans, and gender-fluid teens and kids and uh, provides a lot of informational resources and communication resources, support resources to those kids and teens. And it's kind of the best like it's received a lot of abuse and harassment in the last couple of years through you know kind of just turf mindset they targeted mermaids oh so that means they're doing a great job yes finally (laughs) they've got the notoriety (laughs) plus they just did a really interesting open letter to joan joan rowling herself Mm, my close personal friend (laughs) (laughs) female anatomy expert (laughs) jk rowling (laughs) Uh, no it's really insightful and i I recommend that people check it out and even if i don't take home the w which i will i recommend that anybody even curious about it even if you're not looking for that specific support if you're looking just for education it's cool i recommend it that's awesome brigand who are you playing for uh i'm going to be playing for the trevor project which is a uh, crisis intervention and suicide prevention service. And uh, they do incredible work and donate to different causes as well and provide educational resources. And yeah, it's just something that always meant a lot to me. And so we're going to be supporting them. Awesome. Both great causes. I'm familiar with both of them. They're fantastic. I also want to say that when I messaged you both individually saying that you need to pick a charity, I love that you gave the American and the British response to it in that Jordan said, fab, I have mine. And then Brigham said, rad, I know who I want to play for. (laughs) Fabulous. I have just the candidate. (laughs) Rad, bro. (laughs) I have sick charity. (laughs) Can't wait to earn them some gnarly dough, dude. (laughs) Gonna be freaking swimming in cash. Uh, so today we will be doing mysteries from Scooby-Doo. I'm very excited to share them with you. I will be recapping these three mysteries for you. I will ask you for your accusations. I will be giving points for correct guesses. And I will also be giving out bonus points for anything that tickles my fancy, whether you <laughs> say something particularly funny, your guess is particularly bonkers, you throw some shade. I will say I've already given Jordan one bonus point because he has said twice so far that he is going to win. And oh, I like the okay. confidence. So initially, right out the gate with a 1-0 lead. So if it is tied at the end of these three rounds, we will go to a sudden death riddle, but we'll see if it even comes to that. But with all the rules being laid out on the table, I say we put the pedal to the metal 
and do our first mystery. Hell Woo! yeah. That's rad. <laughs> Fab. Fab. <laughs> so the first mystery, it's just called the Tar Monster. Usually they have these like very silly names, but this one is just called the Tar Monster. <laughs> In my notes, I was like, surely that can't be it. That was clearly me just writing it's the tar monster one. (laughs) (laughs) So, Scooby and the gang, they are driving in the mystery machine. Where else? But in the hills of Turkey to meet with a professor (laughs) who discovered a city buried for thousands of years. This is all coming from season three of Scooby-Doo, where they decided, what if we took this shit global? And it's just in different countries all over the globe, and it's wonderful. Oh, wow. Are they going to an ancient city to find a ghost to harass or whatever? Why are they going there? (laughs) (laughs) So they are going, which is usually the case in Scooby-Doo, they're going to visit a professor. That's what the kids want to see. (laughs) We're going to visit an academic. (laughs) All the way in Turkey. So as they are driving, you see a giant one-eyed tar monster come out of a tar pit in the side of the road and then growl at the mystery machine as it drives by. Do they see it? They don't notice it. Oh, There's okay. two types of introductions that happen in season three of Scooby-Doo. It's either very terrifying thing happens to an innocent person, and then you just cut to the gang having a good time, or gang is driving in Mystery Machine, they drive by something incredibly suspicious, and they don't notice it. Nice. Those are the two intros mm-hmm. we're working with. Quite the detectives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they arrive at the dig site, and the guard there says that it's a restricted area and they're not allowed in, but they say that they were invited by Dr. Dr. Brixton. So the security guard, and my guess always in Scooby-Doo episodes, I just pick the first person you see. He gives them a very menacing look after he opens the gate for them. So I think this dude is super guilty based on this sneering look alone. Hmm. So when they go up to the professor, he reveals that they've had to stop digging for this underground buried city because every single worker quit out of fears of the tar monster. Oh. Snowflakes. (laughs) (laughs) I've detected one thing so far. (laughs) So you see a flashback in the episode and he tells the gang what happened. So while they were excavating this city, they reached the inner sanctum and they were going to open it. But on the sanctum door, there was a warning of a curse written. And it says that intruders beware because this inner sanctum of the city is guarded by the tar monster. Mm. So while they were at this door, they heard a terrible roar. The tar monster appeared. And then the professor and all of the excavators left the inner sanctum. So then Professor Brixton takes them to a destroyed tent. He says that last night, his assistant, Mr. Sterner, was heard shouting for help. And when Brixton arrived to try to help him, he saw his tent completely torn to shreds like this. Oh, damn. Sorry, what was this new person's name? His name is Mr. Sterner. Mm, Suspicious. Oh, you want to get even more suspicious? They find a framed photo of Mr. Sterner at the tent. And it's covered in tar. So either (laughs) Mr. Sterner had a framed photo of himself in his tent or the tar monster as a way of like knowing the victim he was after had a fully framed photo of the person that he was trying to capture. Every victim he puts down a framed photo. I like that. (laughs) Not a Polaroid, not a note, not a description, a full on framed photograph. So he could decide which of the many tent dwellers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, it's not this one. I've looked at my framed reference photo. Mm. (laughs) So Brixton takes them back to his larger tent, finishes the story about the tar monster. Quick question. Is there a language barrier here? Is this Mm. subtitled? Did they get super international? Or was the the curse on the the door in English? Mm. So you can't tell if the curse is written in English because it's just like animation. It's far away. You just see scribbling on the door, basically. But the professor, like most of the professors that the gang knows, are just like vaguely maybe British guys. Mm, mm. Like Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) You be the judge. 1.4, bring it in. It's tied one to one. (laughs) So Brixton is finishing the story in their tent and they see a shadowy figure appear, like a backlit kind of thing. And they think that this is going to be the tar monster, but it turns out just to be a large human. It is Professor Brixton's foreman. And I'm not kidding you. This is the name of the foreman. His name is Ben Ghazi. (laughs) (laughs) Now, keep in mind, this cartoon was made in, like, 1970. So this, at the time, fun joke, play on the city in Libya. Not 2012 Ben Ghazi situation. (laughs) But I did do a 
quadruple take and go back in the episode four times to make sure I heard it right. And then I went to the Scooby-Doo Wikipedia fan page. And yes, his name is Ben, like short for Benjamin Ghazi. Well, I mean, <laughs> the connotations are different, but does one of them at least say... Like the place? Your name is like the place? <laughs> I guess the writers were just like, ah, this will be a sick pun and no one will notice that this guy's named after a city. Here's our other friend, Istanbul. <laughs> Some very worldly kids laughing at those jokes. <laughs> very good. Oh, here, let me show you to the security guard, Constantine Anoble. <laughs> So Benjamin Ghazi takes them to their tents. Of course, Shaggy and Scooby are in their own tent, and the other three from the gang are in another tent. And of course, of course, the tar monster comes into Shaggy and Scooby's tent. They run away. They wake up the rest of the gang, and they see tar tracks outside Shaggy and Scooby's tent, so they follow them. So they followed the tracks, and it ends at a big tar pool. Now, you're L.A. boys. You know about the La Brea tar pits, right? That's oh, a yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> where the tar monster lives. <laughs> <laughs> so they see this tar pool, and they're like, oh, I guess he went back into the tar pool. That's the only logical explanation for what a tar monster could do. They also notice that there is an ancient piece of pottery next to the tar pool, which they think is a bit suspicious. Is it a frame or pottery? <laughs> it's a framed photo of the tar monster, actually. So the next day, there is a Turkish man named Professor Karim who is meeting with Professor Brixton. And he says, quote, Our government agrees with your decision to continue to uncover the treasures, Professor. We will help you. So he got a new excavation crew for Brixton to continue his research. There are so many characters in this. Yeah. This is like uh, <laughs> Death on the Nile. <laughs> what I've noticed in doing these season three Scooby-Doo episodes is that they always end up having four suspects. So in this case, we have Professor Brixton, the original professor, Professor Kareem, this new Turkish professor. We have Sterner, the missing assistant. And then we have Benghazi, the foreman. These are the four potential suspects. And don't worry, we won't be meeting anyone new over the course of this episode. See, I'm terrible at solving mysteries <laughs> in general, except for in TV when... Uh, an actor that you know pops up in a guest star role and you're like, ah, oh, it has to be that guy because uh, yeah, he's got yeah, a juicy yeah. part. So is there any stunt casting in this? Like, I don't know of any famous voice actors that they snagged for this, but I will say one of the characters is named Ben Ghazi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't know, maybe like a couple of famous people with distinct and famous voices beloved by all. I'm sure there are some like hardcore 1970s actor stands out there that are screaming <laughs> at me in their cars right now being like, come on, the voice of <laughs> Professor Kareem was, you know. <laughs> Nixon. <laughs> all right, that is that's a point Pretty fa famous voice actor. <laughs> and of course, when they accuse him, he goes, I am not a crook. It's a compelling case. So while they are doing this re-entry into the sunken city, they further explain that how this city got buried is that there was a big earthquake and then nearby hills collapsed in like a mudslide. And that's what led to this city getting buried underground. So they get back to the inner sanctum, they open the door, and they see that everything inside has been stolen. And there is a tar monster inside, but it's just a statue of the tar monster, which I guess was just to scare people away. Huh. But... I don't know. Okay. So they see some tar tracks inside of the inner sanctum, and that shocks Professor Kareem because he says, if there's tar tracks inside the sanctum, that means the tar monster got past my guards. How could that have happened? I'm sorry. Every time that you say tar tracks, I think that you're saying tire tracks, but in like a Southern, <laughs> those tar tracks. <laughs> those tar tracks. <laughs> those tar tracks. <laughs> I'm saying some tar tracks. Brigham has evened the score at two to two. Yes. <laughs> So then Kareem and Brixton leave to go sound the alarm. The gang goes to further investigate. Of course, they run into the tar monster. There are some classic Scooby-Doo chase scenes that happen. And then the gang finds a workman's toolkit. And inside this toolkit is a map of the inner sanctum with a bunch of tar stains on it. Uh. So they continue to search around the area. They also find an air compressor. And Velma at this point says, now we know what's happening. So they use the <laughs> air compressor as a trap they hook up the air compressor to the actual tar pit itself, which starts making the tar pit bubble. The tar monster gets trapped inside of a giant air bubble, floats over to a tree, gets <laughs> stuck in the branches of the tree, and then they tie him up 
And then they pull off the mask of the tar monster and they reveal who it is. So I turn to the two of you. Who's the tar monster? Hmm. Hmm. Has the tar monster showcased any particular tar-based attacks or powers? Mm. Good point. All we see is the tar footprints all over the place. And the time that they followed the tar footprints after the initial chase, all they saw was the big pool of tar. So their assumption was he went back into that tar pool. So the tar monster has not committed any explicit crimes. He might just be a resident. (laughs) (laughs) I will say a general vibe of Scooby-Doo episodes is usually scaring people away from a place where there are valuable items so that that person can take the valuable items for themselves. Mm. So that's the crime we have to assume is taking place. It's the assumed crime. (laughs) No no reason to think that. We have the professor and his name is what, Kareem or? Yeah, the original professor that they're visiting is Brixton. The new Turkish professor who helps restart the excavation is Professor Kareem. What's the relationship between Brixton and Kareem? Like, is Brixton kind of just coming in and doing this whole thing. And Kareem's part of the government, is it? Or Yeah, Kareem says that the government gave Brixton the approval to continue the dig. So they seem to be on pretty good terms from what we can see. See, I'm almost wondering if Brixton, I think, is innocent and was doing the dig and wanting to find this stuff. And Kareem wanted to get his own guys in there to steal it oh, after. Yes. So it was spooking to scare everyone and Kareem wants the stuff either for Turkey or himself or like some sort of like Indiana Jones. It belongs in a museum kind of <laughs> thing. Because Indiana Jones has an old voice like that. Uh, so yeah, I want to say Kareem, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the question mark for me. It could be Kareem or it could be one of his lackeys. Mm. But I don't believe we've been introduced to any of his direct lackeys because the security guard we saw was Brixton's security guard. Is that true? Yes. Okay. I'm thinking this could be sort of a Nathan Drake's antagonist in every Uncharted game type treasure Ah. hunter where they're using more aggressive and barbaric and unethical methods. And, you know, that for some reason (laughs) means that they don't get to steal the thing everyone's stealing anyway. Nathan Drake says, I solved the puzzles with logic. And then the villain is just, yeah, I used TNT, you idiot. (laughs) I did it fast. (laughs) And they're like invariably always in the the lost city before him. But he's like, but I'm handsome. Let me have it. I'll kill you. I'll literally kill you. (laughs) But I'm stealing this treasure in the proper way. (laughs) I want it more to put somewhere, maybe. (laughs) I just want to spend it to be rich. They want to do evil stuff with it. (laughs) I would assume. (laughs) I don't think Kareem himself is dressing up, I think, from a logistical point of view. Because, again, if they're an Uncharted-style villain, they don't want to put themselves in jeopardy. Maybe he's in cahoots with uh, Missing Dude. What's his name? Sterner. That's my read. I think Kareem and Stern are walking together. Plus, like, there's... They got past my guards. Bullshit, brother. They, <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely... Were, plus, like, he doesn't provide papers or evidence that the government was just like, hey, yeah, sure. Yeah, he just says, <laughs> go, the government loves this. Go for it. Which government? <laughs> oh, the big one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will reveal that your later guess, the two of you, is correct. It was Mr. Sterner. Oh, so okay. He okay. wasn't working in cahoots with Kareem. I'm each giving you a bonus point, though, since oh. you both sort of arrived at this semi-correct conclusion. So he was just doing this on his own because he wanted to take all the valuables for himself. Mm. So what that air compressor was, how Velma knew it was him, is that it's scuba gear. So they show that the big tar monster costume is actually like a 20,000 leagues under the sea type thing, like with the big dome head looking thing. And he was scuba diving through the tar pit because there's a part where the bottom of the tar pit goes to the underground city and then the top is where all the tents are. So that's how he got past the guards is he was just going through the tar pit, which I don't know if that's how tar pits work, but I feel like no. But yeah, it was Sterner just trying to get all of the money for himself. He was trying to scare everyone away so that he could take all of the jewels and not have to give it to anyone. It wasn't Scooby gear or Scooby diving. It was Scuba gear. Take a point away. Bonus for Brigand. Take, take all of his points away. <laughs> oh, man. So at the end of this first mystery, Brigand has a slight lead of four to three as we get into our second mystery of the episode, A Menace in Venice. Oh, that's much more fun. Much more yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> the equivalent, I guess, would be 
Venice crime. <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, just name it after the monster who we will learn is the ghostly gondolier. Oh, that's Ooh. right. That's Which really is a very good. fun name. So the first scene we see is an opera taking place at the Venice Opera House. And there's a hooded figure, the ghostly gondolier, who swings in. His costume is super fresh. He looks fantastic. <laughs> he swings in. He steals a triangular medallion that was on display above the stage. And then he swings out and he escapes in the only way that makes sense in Venice, via gondola. <laughs> and you see him while escaping via gondola. The camera zooms in on his face and he goes, soon the doge's treasure will be mine. <laughs> he is my intent. Don't protect it. I also like that he is stealing it by himself. I just love the thought that a criminal is stealing something, and while he's gondolaing by himself out loud to no one, he just has to say, Good, this is all going according to plan. I like want the camera to pan behind him to where there's like a couple on a honeymoon in his gondola. Yeah. <laughs> After I finish this, what's this building on the left? <laughs> well, this place has an interesting history. <laughs> <laughs> the canal system has been around for centuries. <laughs> so, of course, we cut to the gang just hanging out in Venice. Their friend Antonio has invited them over for a visit, and they are going to travel via gondolas to reach Antonio's pizza restaurant before it closes. When does this get offensive? <laughs> no, yeah. Of course the restaurant he has to own. <laughs> he uses hair gel to escape. <laughs> <laughs> so they need to travel via gondola, but... One gondola is empty, and the gondolier in the other one says, in a very menacing way, there is no one else, only me. <laughs> so Scooby has to be the other gondolier. Naturally, make mm, the yeah. dog of course, the yeah. other person to man the boat, or I guess dog the boat. <laughs> so Shaggy and Scooby, of course, in their gondola, encounter this hooded figure we saw in the intro on the gondola next to them. Now, when they arrive at the pizza place, they tell the gang and the other gondolier what they saw. This gondolier assures them that it was just the fog playing tricks on them. There's no such thing as a ghostly gondolier. Now, this pizza place gondolier, gondoliersman, <laughs> they've been with the rest of the gang the whole time. They have an alibi. The first scene we see for the gang is them loading up their luggage into the gondolas and then taking mm. the gondolas. And while they are on this gondola ride, Shaggy and Scooby see the ghostly gondolier. So this okay. is so far the only other person that we've met. Mm -hmm. But because it is the first person we've met, this is who I think it is. <laughs> so they then meet with their friend, Antonio. He tells them that he is studying art at his academy here in Venice. This is all, of course, taking place while they eat pizza in his restaurant, which is perfect. <laughs> nice. I imagine the animation probably costs more for this one because they have to gesticulate all the time. art school. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah, that's a bonus point for Jurassic World. <laughs> One point for racism. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I will say this episode does not do that. So Aww. we're in the clear. 1978 cartoon aging somewhat well. <laughs> Congrats. So, <laughs> so Velma proceeds to ask him about his famous ancestor, Doge Malvolio IV. <laughs> now, Antonio claims that he has a treasure but his treasure was never found along with his portrait. The only thing that Antonio has left of his famous ancestor is four golden medallions. So Antonio has one of the medallions. The other two are in a museum in Venice. And the fourth was stolen recently. Uh. Uh. So they finish eating, they leave the restaurant, and just as they get outside, Antonio's friend Mario rushes up to them. <laughs> it's a me! Okay. It was a, it was a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony and Mario. Come on, what else could their names be? <laughs> and then there's no more characters because the writers are racking their brain. Like, I, don't, I don't fucking know that. We've run out. <laughs> we can't use Luigi. We can't. There's just no way. <laughs> so Mario rushes up to them and he says that another medallion has gone missing. And the rumor is that it was taken by the ghostly gondolier. Do we know if they're referring to the one that just was stolen in the cold open? Or another one since then? I believe that is the one that they are referring to. Okay. The medallion was in an opera? It was like on display above the stage. Ah, okay. It makes me think of when you go to like Applebee's or Fuddruckers and they just have knickknacks <laughs> on the wall. Right. So the, this opera house was like, yeah, we'll put this old medallion on the yeah. wall from this guy whose treasure went missing. Yeah. <laughs> a, a perfect showcase of your relationship with culture, Shoes. <laughs> the opera reminds me of uh, <laughs> the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I'm going to give Jordan a bonus point for making fun 
one of me. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, if that's the method to do it. <laughs> oh, shit. If it goes too far, you're going to lose points because oh, no. then I'm going to feel bad about myself. So Antonio takes the gang into the academy where he's been studying, and you meet his professor. Now, his professor's name is Giuseppe. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so the gang then meets Antonio's teacher, Professor Solari, who at first I did think they said Professor Salami, and I was very concerned. <laughs> so they meet Professor Solari, and he tells the whole backstory of the ghostly gondolier. He says that during the rule of Doge Malvolio IV, the ghostly gondolier was sentenced to life imprisonment. He managed to escape, and he led his armies into Venice to overthrow the Doge. It is at this point that I've learned that Doge, I guess, is a, a dog term meme. of royalty and not like a name. <laughs> I can't help but think of the dog meme. Yeah. But after he said that he was a Doge, I was like, oh, so his name is not Doge. Got it. Yeah. Either that or this is an extremely influential episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> it launched Mario. It launched a meme. <laughs> Built Nintendo from the ground up. So th the royal fortune vanished except for these medallions. And that is the whole backstory. So now we have a bit more context as to Malvolio's fortune just being completely missing. That was the previous generation. Was the That was his fortune. Yes. Okay. After Professor Solari explains this... Antonio walks them past some portraits of his ancestors, and Velma notices that Antonio has the same distinctive green eyes as all of his ancestors. Now, the portrait of Doge Malvolio IV is missing, as mentioned before, but Velma still makes this astute observation that they all have similar eyes. Hmm. You say that out loud. <laughs> your eyes are green. There's a guy's green. <laughs> Let me look at your eyes. <laughs> So the gang and Antonio are heading to the palace to make sure that the medallion that is there is safe. But Velma notices while they're walking that the gondolier from before is lurking around the premises. So some more suspicion for gondolier. Oh. So Antonio gets to where the medallion is, shows it to the gang. They all pass it around for a look. Daphne, of course, tries it on. <laughs> Women be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and once she tries it on, the ghostly gondolier appears behind her and captures her. Oh, <laughs> just, just fucking snatches her like that. <laughs> yep. Wait, are the rest of them there? <laughs> yeah, they were there. He just pops in, takes her, just yeet, and great. then runs out the room. In, the, in a famously fast vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> So the gang follow him outside where, as you mentioned, they see him escaping in what else but a gondola. Oh. So Daphne is tied up in a bag where her head is sticking out, which I think is the fun reverse of the normal mm -hmm. thing where you usually put the bag <laughs> over the head of the person. This is the inverse so that the gang can see, ah, yes, he has stolen Daphne. <laughs> Otherwise, they're like, well, he kidnapped Daphne and a big bag. <laughs> I hope that big bag's okay. <laughs> So, of course, they try to chase after the gondola. They are unsuccessful in doing so. But Velma does find a small vial on the ground where the boat vanished. So Fred, Antonio, Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby meet up with Mario. And they decide to further search the academy. They split up three and three. So Shaggy, Scooby, and Antonio search the basement. Velma, Fred, and Mario search upstairs. When Mario goes into a separate room to get keys from Antonio's office... Fred and Velma hear a scream, and then they hear the ghostly gondolier's signature sinister laugh. And when they run into the office, Antonio's office has been torn to shreds, and there are red plastic crumbs on the ground. There is so much to this. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How long are these episodes? <laughs> They're like 20, 25 minutes Jesus each. Jesus Christ. So Shaggy and Scooby are searching in the basement, and then Antonio has vanished. So now we're at the situation where Antonio and Mario have both gone missing. The ghostly gondolier then shows up, classic chase scene, and they follow a pair of footsteps that lead outside to a gondola where they see the ghostly gondolier in another boat. They chase him and Scooby finds a hidden lever on some rocks in the water. They pull the lever and it opens like a hidden room outside the palace. And that has the missing portrait of Doge Malvolio and all of the treasure. Oh. So they continue to follow clues that the ghostly gondolier has left behind. And they see him in Piazza San Marco using the medallions to open a secret passageway. And that's where they see how he's hiding the lost treasure and stuff like that. There's a chase scene, they capture him, they unmask him, and they reveal who's been taking the medallions and hiding them with the other treasure along with the portrait. So now I turn to you two. 
Who is the ghostly gondolier? My brain actually hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give just a basic rundown of what has happened. Our story begins in Constantinople. <laughs> <laughs> They're in Venice. They want to eat pizza with their friend Antonio, who owns a pizza place. When they finish eating pizza, Antonio's friend Mario reveals that another medallion from Antonio's ancestor has gone missing. Mm -hmm. They go into the palace to make sure that the other medallions are safe there. They are safe. <laughs> they go to split up to find the ghostly gondolier. Mm -hmm. Both Antonio and Mario go missing. Then the gang is able to follow the ghostly gondolier. They see where his secret hideout is, where he's been hiding the stuff. He uses the medallions in order to access this hideout, and then they're able to capture him. So the question is, who is it? Our suspects would be Antonio, Mario, the gondolier guy, and Antonio's professor. Hey, what, what, uh, what color eyes does Mario have? Ooh, Mario has brown eyes. Mm. Wait, why, did we see any kind of aberration in the portrait they found? Did he not have green eyes or something? No, he still looks the same. Okay. This is, this is only a semi-related question. You know when they're like getting chased and stuff? Why don't they just kick its ass? <laughs> I mean, they, they have it outnumbered. There's so many of them. And they're not that big. <laughs> they, is there one where they just kill him? <laughs> like, they, like they're getting chased and they just shoot him with a gun. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Wait, what was the bit with the uh, the red crumbs in the office? Mario was going into Antonio's office to get keys. Gotcha. But then they heard a scream. And when they approached it, Mario was gone. The office was destroyed. And there were red crumbs on the ground. Wait, was Daphne already gone? Did we just see the gondolier already before Mario did his business? It was in the midst of all the chase scenes. Okay. So it's hard to say exactly who is who. And the art school is paintings, right? Yeah, there are four portraits. One is missing. That's part of the treasure that has gone missing. The professor keeps on sticking out in my mind. Okay. And I'm wondering if the red stuff is maybe like dried paint whatever from the, the <laughs> academy. Professor Plastic. Okay, okay. Wait, is this Professor Salami or is this a different one? This is Salami, I think. Yeah. Yes. Solari, but yeah. Yeah, Salami. I'll be the judge yeah. of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not confident in that yet, though. Okay, okay. Do you have any uh, suspicions or guesses, Jordan? I don't know why. This is a buck wild one, and I, I don't know how... I don't know how ham these these shows go. So maybe this is really wild. But I, I have this light suspicion that it is the Doge himself. Oh. <laughs> that he... he oh. ah, it's the green eyes. It's it, That is infuriating. Because the crumbs is going to be some fucking nonsense that Velma's <laughs> able to like, oh, the famous green crumbs of the, <laughs> the Italian pizza chef or whatever. But the green eyes is like so... Uh, who doesn't, you know, ah, was, well, unless one was wearing contacts. And, <laughs> just gonna be they angry. met their friend Antonio after the medallion was stolen, yeah. right? Yes. And Antonio has been sleuthing with them, though. Yes. He's been walking around with them the whole time. Mario's been joining them the whole time, too. And then and Antonio, in the chase, he was there as well, right? Yeah. Okay. Both of them are in the chase. Okay. Both of them go missing at points. So I... Professor Salami sticking out there. I, he just, he yeah. has such a superfluous role and also has like a very storied understanding. Like he tells them that the royal fortune <laughs> yeah. vanished. Is he telling Antonio that the fortune vanished? Antonio knows it because okay. it's his yeah. ancestors and he's been studying art at the school as well, but it's new information to the gang. But he has motivation for vengeance. That's the mm. other. Yeah. Okay, you guys both picking Salami? I think so. It's either Salami or Jordan, but I'm going to go with Salami. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is this is a dumb game. I actually don't want to play anyway. I have to go. <laughs> I don't think it's Mario because I think that's too easy to read, right? Like, yeah. He was, he was, he disappeared. Okay. I'm happy to reveal that it was that easy. It was Mario. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> no. So you guys, you were right on it with the eyes. You were so close. Oh. So Mario does have brown eyes. But what Velma reveals is that those red crumbs were part of contacts 
that <laughs> make his it. green eyes Stop look it. brown because green plus red equals I brown. I can't oh. believe it. <laughs> my God. Two of my three Hail Marys. <laughs> so I will say, because you took two Hail Marys and they were so fun, I gave you two bonus points. One just for even thinking that it was Doge himself. <laughs> yeah, that was God. a big swing. <laughs> for stealing his own treasure and his own <laughs> portrait and making <laughs> it go missing. And then also because you were like, oh, it's got to be like fucking contacts or something stupid. So, <laughs> wait, what do they mean? It's little bits of contact. Yeah. <laughs> it's like crushed up contact. Yeah, I you guess. know, when you leave your contact place. It's crushed up contact. <laughs> they, yeah, they don't like go into the specifics, but Velma's just like, he was using the red flakes to make his green eyes look brown because what they reveal is that Mario is also a descendant of the family, but from like a different branch, like a mother-father side mm. situation. Mm. So to make it less suspicious and make it not seem like he was trying to get his own family fortune. Wow. He wore these red color contacts that made his eyes look brown. And they're like lifelong friends, right? They don't go on the full backstory, but it is established that they are friends with each other. So yeah. So wait, was this rough. super premeditated to where he like had contacts to the whole relationship? <laughs> or, oh my God. or did his eyes change at one point? Like what, yeah. what is that about? I have no idea, but I feel like I need 12, I need a whole season about just Mario and Antonio. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't believe it. That really colors what the next one is because now we've, <laughs> there's, there's no standard. <laughs> this could be completely out of control. So at the end of the second mystery, the score is seven to four in favor of Jordan. We get into what? the final mystery of the what episode. What is that crap? <laughs> He's been racking up the bonus points, baby. We get into our final mystery, which is the creepy creature of Vulture's Claw. <laughs> Wait, Brigham, would you be down to take a guess, like just front to back at what this mystery is? Just in like one sentence. <laughs> Say it again, the creepy creeper. The creepy creature of Vulture's Claw. Of Vulture's Claw. I think Vulture's Claw is a place, and uh, Creepy Creeper is a uh, troll online that just... Uh, <laughs> in the 1970s. Yeah. Online in this 1978 cartoon. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. The world's first troll <laughs> via mail. So I'm going to give Brigham a bonus point because Vulture's Claw is a place. Oh, nice. Of course, yes. it's a botanical gardens named Vulture's Claw. Oh, <laughs> oh, right. The reason it's named that is it's on a peninsula of sorts that kind of looks like a claw, like a three-pronged peninsula. So the gang is heading over there to meet up with another professor that they know, Professor Greer. So they show up at these botanical gardens and they are first greeted by Harry Keeble, who is the caretaker and has been the caretaker at these botanical gardens for the past 20 years. Of course, I think this guy's guilty. He's the first person we've met. He warns them to get out of the gardens because something scary has been happening in the gardens. <laughs> no need to elaborate. <laughs> yeah, no, he doesn't elaborate, but he does say, get lost and take Professor Greer with you. Oh. So he establishes that he doesn't like Professor Greer. <laughs> Doesn't does the professor work at that botanical garden? So they give you the backstory. They walk to find Professor Green. Before they even meet up with him, they are attacked by a giant praying mantis-looking monster. Oh. It's like a half-man, half-praying mantis. <laughs> Part caretaker. <laughs> so Greer finds them and warns them about the creature, and then he explains what's up. So he recently purchased the gardens, and right after he did this creepy monster has been scaring everyone else away. Mm -hmm. So Greer says that he found a diary in, there's like a science labby looking place in the basement of the facility building at the Botanical Gardens, I guess where they do plant experiments. But he says that he found a diary where a researcher was doing an experiment involving praying mantises and something went wrong, and uh, that's the person who turned into the praying mantis. So I guess this is just Jeff Goldblum's The Fly with a praying mantis. Uh, life finds a way. Now, Velma flips through the journal, and she finds it strange that this is the only entry in the journal. There's no <laughs> stuff before or after. The only thing in the journal is like, I'm doing this praying mantis experiment. Oh no, something's gone wrong, and that's it. I think it could just be a coincidence, because anytime that I've tried to start like a, like a journal when I've gone on a trip or something, I'm like, yeah, and then I write like, <laughs> Like on the first page, hopping on the plane, and then I get to the end of the trip and nothing has been filled. So um, it could just be that. So Scooby is creeped out by this whole praying mantis situation. So he runs out of the laboratory in fear. But while he's running out, he runs into a man named 
Clive Dickerman. And he is a real estate agent that is trying to buy the gardens away from Professor Greer. Sorry, that's such a classic. That's like a comedy name me and Brigid would come up with. Exactly. <laughs> Clive Dickerman. Clive Dickerman. <laughs> Attorney at law. So he's very menacing, very over the top, and he very clearly wants to buy this place away from Greer. He says, with that creature running around, seems like you'd be better off selling the place. Mm. Leading the witness. (laughs) (laughs) And Greer refuses, and afterwards, while walking away... Clive Dickerman says, well, let me know if things get too hot for you. <laughs> As he walks away up the stairs. Oh. <laughs> As he walks away up the stairs, dropping a Molotov cocktail. As he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Greer turns to the kids afterwards and he goes, I couldn't sell the place if I wanted to. The deal still hasn't been finalized. Like the place isn't officially in his name yet. So he couldn't even sell it to Clive if he wanted ah. to sell it to him. So... Greer says that Dickerman wants to turn the gardens into a housing development because what else do evil real estate agents do? (laughs) So Shaggy and Scooby want to go to bed. The other three want to go snoop around the grounds. (laughs) The other ones want to do their fucking job. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, the praying mantis comes to Shaggy and Scooby's room Mm. and it starts a chase scene. And I will say specifically, I usually just kind of yada yada over the chase scenes, but this chase scene has one of the funniest moments I've ever seen, which is they jump into a dresser drawer. It's got like 12 different drawers in it. And it's just the classic bit of the mantis opens one drawer, their heads pop out of the other, and it keeps going around. But then at one point, they come out of a dresser on the other side of the room (laughs) and they start to leave and Shaggy goes, how did we do that? And goes, well, I don't know. And then Shaggy goes, we'll figure it out later. Come on. And then they leave. And it's so funny. They figure out who the villain is because when he sees that, he goes like, Jesus Christ. And like, and the voice we know. Clive Dickerman. How did you do that? So we cut to the other three members of the gang. They have gone back into the laboratory investigating and... Fred has the diary, and he notes that there's no names anywhere on the diary, which is strange that they didn't even write in the if found, please return to page that's on every Moleskine diary that we've all started three pages <laughs> of and then never done again. But while they are snooping around, someone comes in named Eric Garby. He says that he is a former assistant of Mr. Greer. And he said that he originally left when the Mantis attacks started happening, but then he felt guilty when he realized that no one else was left at the Botanical Gardens, so he came back to try to help apprehend the praying Mantis Man. Mm. I will say this is the last new character. So to review, we have Mr. Keeble, the caretaker, who's been the caretaker for 20 years. We have Professor Greer. We have Clive Dickerman, real estate agent, and Eric Garby, the former assistant. Is this the first time Mm. Eric has been back since he left? Yes. So he says this is the first time he has come back. He left a couple days ago, felt bad about it, and now he's back to try to help Professor Greer. Gotcha. So Shaggy and Scooby then catch up with the gang because they were in a chasing with the Mantis, and the Mantis used a trap door, which sent them into a crocodile pit. They run away from the crocodile pit and meet up with the gang in the laboratory. So when Shaggy and Scooby come into the laboratory, they start to hear some menacing growling outside of the door to the laboratory. This spooks Eric, so he leaves. The rest of the gang tries to follow him, and they can't find him, but while they are looking for him, the Mantis steals Daphne, of course, just yoinks her out of the situation, as Mm -hmm. usually happens in these episodes. So they run over to Professor Greer's room, and they wake him up. It's the middle of the night, but they wake him up because they say, this building is so big, we're not going to know how to navigate. Greer, can you help us find Daphne? But while they are in Greer's room, out the window, they see someone walking with a lantern, so they run to go see who that is. And Greer yells, because he's still in his pajamas, he goes, I'll join you after I change! (laughs) (laughs) So when they get outside, it turns out that this person with the lantern was Clive Dickerman walking the grounds. Mm. So they try to confront him, but he runs away from them and goes behind a bush. When Shaggy and Scooby go behind the bush, out pops the mantis and chases after them. So the four of them run into an old cabin to hide. And when they get inside, they see Daphne there. She was locked in the closet. So they break her out. She says the mantis put her there. And then into this cabin comes Mr. Keeble, 
the caretaker. And he says, for the last time, get out and take Professor Greer with you. He's very <laughs> one-track mind, this Mr. Keeble. So they go back to the house. And what I think is so fun is this mystery I love because I felt like the four suspects were equally suspicious, which is very rare yeah. in these Scooby-Doo episodes. And what's so fun is as they are walking back to the house, they pass Clive Dickerman, who is ominously looking at them from behind a pillar. They pass Mr. Keeble, who is ominously looking <laughs> at them from behind the shed. And then in one of the windows is Eric looking ominously at them out the window. <laughs> so it's like every suspect is here. Oh, and then they go into the house. Velma notices that they're leaving footprints, but it's not dirt that they're leaving. It's oil, Ooh. which is suspicious. Greer shows up. And he says, sorry, it took so long. I had to get my jacket and everything. And then the mantis is outside of a glass door yelling. So Greer runs away. But he also is leaving oily footprints, which Velma finds suspicious. Of course, there's a classic chase scene. They trap the mantis. They demask him. And they figure out who it is. So I turn to you two. Who is the evil mantis man? Seems like, seems like Velma doesn't need the rest of them. <laughs> she really doesn't. They're really not contributing. What color is the mantis's eyes? <laughs> <laughs> They're just big and yellow. Okay, it, it has great. big Willem Dafoe green goblin mask vibes from oh the first Spider-Man movie. I'm where in. it's like permanently in a scream with fangs coming out of it. Pretty <laughs> terrifying stuff. Yeah, pretty much. What's the, this is so random, the age difference mm. between... Eric and Clive Dickerman. Clive Dickerman's a grown-ass man. Okay. I would say 50s. Eric looks like he's a college kid. Cool. Okay. okay. He, he looks to be about the same age as the gang. Okay, so I think that it's a duo mm. between Eric and Clive. Okay. Oh. And I think they've been sort of tag-teaming. What popped up for me was the growl that they heard outside, and uh -huh. then I think it was Eric runs out. Greer ran out of Greer ran out. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm going to still go with this. I think Eric is Clive's son. Ooh, and they're whoa. in it together and he's helping out his mm. dad on this. And he's had all this sort of like inside info. Yeah. Uh, and he just wants true. to help his dad and make his dad proud. He has like no obvious ties. Well, the praying mantis was able to drop them through a trap door. So he knows the layout. Yeah. Which I guess was just there. <laughs> <laughs> Normal botanical garden stuff, you know. Yeah. Because I think the groundskeeper's too obvious. And I don't think he's motivated. I mean, maybe he wants to keep it safe, but I don't think he's motivated to, like, do that. My, my guess is sort of an equivalent of that. I'm definitely down with Clive Dickerman hiring or collaborating with someone. Mm -hmm. If I know Clive Dickerman, and I do, <laughs> I don't imagine that he would do it himself because he'd put himself in jeopardy. I think it's Clive Dickerman and Professor Greer. Mm. Ooh, how do I feel about it? I don't know. No, 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 no. It is Professor Greer and Eric. Ah. They both intend to sell it, because they would know each other. Mm -hmm. They both intend to sell it to Clive. Ooh. Because either way, Clive, you know, gets the purchase. Professor Greer is frustrated that his deal is not going through. Hmm. Has to play in in some way. And he may well want to sell it, maybe because he's scared of the... Because the, the crocodiles. Because the crocodiles. <laughs> the trap pit, the crocodiles. Yeah, good call, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> Clive's just so, I'm going to kill you and take your land. It's like so <laughs> clear and obvious that he would do that. But then, you know, it's, it's not Agatha Christie. That's what makes it hard is that sometimes in these episodes, it is the most obvious person. And then other times it is the person you never saw coming. But I will say, in this case, Jordan, you're right. It was Professor Greer. Oh. So he is behind it. He knew that there was oil underneath. Oh, That's why he God. bought the land, because he wanted to turn it into an oil rig. Oh, shit. <laughs> and the whole thing that he wanted to do with the mantis was he took over the gardens, but he wanted everyone to leave because he didn't want anybody else to find out that there was oil on the grounds. So that's why he tried to scare everyone away because the deal hadn't gone through. He was just waiting for that deal to go through. And then once it was through, he was going to sell the land or have people mm. come in and get oil out of it and stuff like that. So Fake journal from him because he would have had access to the space. Oh, my exactly. God. Exactly. So the journal was fake. He did that by himself. No involvement from Eric? No, Eric was just there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want them to follow up with Eric. I still don't trust him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I should like to call you back in. I know it's been 50 years. <laughs> 
I don't know if I won all the points for that. I feel like I was leading on Eric pretty hard. <laughs> you were winning anyway going into this round, so it didn't make a difference. I did give Brigan a bonus point because I liked the uh, thinking Eric was Clive's son. I um, thought that was a very fun link because that has happened in previous Scooby-Doo episodes as you learn that two suspects are related in some way. Like, oh, he was actually my twin brother, but he's been wearing a mask the whole time. <laughs> so I like I like that guess. But I will say, Jordan, you were uh, you were pretty close on. I gave you the point. So you have won this episode 10 to 6, Whoa, meaning you've you. earned some money Ten for mermaids. How do you feel? Good. I, um, I, I don't feel particularly proud. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I got some, some kind of bullshit W's on that one. There's <laughs> a couple of occasions where it's just like, I, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the oil was there. I feel like all my evidence was circumstantial in the case of Greer and, and when taken through the courts, I would probably lose. But this is street law. <laughs> we just, we, when we have the answer, we just chuck him in with the crocodiles. That's how we wrap this up. I like both charities, so there was no loss really either way. Yeah, both charities are great. It was fantastic. I encourage everyone to look up both of them. But if people want to look up you all doing stuff internet-wise, podcast-wise, where can they do so? You, you go, go, Jordan. You do it. You go. How about you that? You do it. See, you see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got uh, College Tapes coming out on Luminary in October, which is going to be super, super fun. And yeah, we're making some shows. But you can find me on Twitter at Brigan Snow and on Instagram at Brigan. If anybody out there is thirsty and looking to be trapped, go on over to Brigan's Instagram. You stop it. You stop it right now. I've got to say. Another bonus point for Jordan. He has now won 11 to 6. <laughs> You can find me online, and that's it. <laughs> you, here's my challenge. You be the sleuth. You can find me online at Jordan Adika, or one word, A-D-I-K-A. It's a funny old name in it, I know, but it's distinct, and I like it. And I don't want to anglicize it, because fuck that. Mm -hmm. uh, myself, Brigan, as well as our friend Lauren. And my good friend Nathan Stans, we make a show called ARCS, A-R-C-S, that's it's D and D. What, what, a, what a fun old time. Listen to it now. We'll be back soonish, working on the final episodes of the season right now. And you can enjoy that whenever it returneth. And I do a show called Sad Boys with a Z, with a Z. And we Twitch stream every Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday, every week. You can go check the times in your local time zone. But we also go out on podcast feeds and stuff. It's cute. It's emotions and you know, do you want to be sad and laugh? Maybe. I love a good emotion. Sad and yeah. laugh. It's fun. Do it. <laughs> the two emotions. Be in touch with your emotions. <laughs> yeah, the two emotions. Sad and laugh. Thank you for having us on this, by the way. This was just oh, so such a fun show. Yeah, thanks what for coming on. Premise. This is a blast. I'm glad we can make this work. It was it was yeah. a hoot and a half, and we raised money along the way, so all good things. So, Brigham and Jordan, thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thanks for listening. And I think you, got, you guys held up. You had some interesting ways that you arrived at the mostly right answers sometimes, and that's just what happens when instead <laughs> Instead of uh, well-polished teen detectives to solve crimes, you get a couple of meddling adults. Thanks for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Today's episode was edited by Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Meddling Adults, as well as reddit.com slash r slash Meddling Adults. And we also have our website, meddlingadults.com. To support the show and get access to some bonus clips, you can go to patreon.com slash Meddling Adults. And another way to help the show is simply tell someone about it, whether you reach out to someone directly or leave a rating and review online or just tweet about it or post about it somewhere, all of those truly help. So thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode next Wednesday.